0: Hi there, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening again. It's Wednesday, August the 25th. Bright, dry, sunny again in TW11. Thank you for all your feedback from yesterday's show featuring Venetia Williams and her thoughts on the future of jump racing. You can see her letter published on my Twitter feed and you can download yesterday's episode right after this one. Make no apology for a little bit more navel-gazing on today's program because racing's most senior marketing man, Rod Street, uh, the chief executive of Great British Racing Horse Racing's marketing arm here in Great Britain has intervened. He's intervened on social media off the back of what's been a period of creative tension and discussing how racing should best sell itself, should market itself, to whom should it market itself. David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, is with me. We're going to hear from Rod in a few moments time, Dave. But have you, have you seen these tweets? Have you read them? Have you digested them?
1: I have read it. I've read every one of the uh, tweets from Rod Street. It's impassioned, it's detailed, and it's certainly frank. I would urge anyone who hasn't read it uh, to have a look. I think that there are certain... Uh, there are lots of points in there that that I agree with. Uh, working backwards in in, in the twentieth of the tweets, uh, Rod talks about the demystification of language and and how one doesn't need to do that in horse racing. I've always found that one of the one of the attractive things about it. Uh, going back point nine, I was quite surprised that there was a a mere one point six million budget a central budget to market racing which obviously is dwarfed uh, by other sports i thought that uh, rod's discussion in point 13 of the social audience which is pretty much at the core of this discussion i think nick what uh, on the one hand we've got people who's who have looked uh, negatively really upon pop concerts. I know there was a very interesting piece with Emma Banks a couple of weekends ago. Um, Lee Mottershead has also addressed this this week in the Racing Post as to as to whom racing should be uh, trying to appeal to. And, and Rod makes the point that there's nothing wrong with the social audience. And I completely agree with that. I think that uh, people are, are quite blinkered these days uh, in thinking that decades ago, People went horse racing, but they didn't go to watch the horses. They went to drink. Uh, they went to pull, uh, to to put it bluntly. Um, and so I don't think that that we should look at this sort of social audience as a modern thing. And I certainly don't think that we should look at it as a bad thing. In point 16, Rod makes a, a very fair point that uh, none of this is a binary issue. There isn't... Uh, there isn't one thing that is good and another that is bad. Everything is really a shade of grey. Um, I, I feel, from from a personal perspective, I feel that when, when we're talking about social audiences, obviously we don't want antisocial behaviour, and I thought that York did a very good job with the presence of the old bill uh, on track, and I think that was generally why uh, the four days went extremely well from uh, that perspective. Um, but... When I leave the Shergar Cup, for example, I'm, as I say, I'm a a 52 year old man who went racing to watch horse racing. And as a result, when someone introduced the concept of the Shergar Cup, I might have thought, I'm not really sure about this. But one thing that I can say hand on heart is I, I leave that meeting on. the the saturdays as i did a couple of weeks ago and i see a generally non-racing audience who have had a really good time lots of them have had quite a bit to drink but they've made a really big big uh, and worthwhile contribution to that meeting there's there's a lot of noise there's a lot of atmosphere and if if that's perceived as a negative by lots of people because they're not from around these parts then I, i i can't go with that
0: well, I've been speaking to, to Rod off the back of his, his tweets yesterday,
2: and this is what he had to say. Well, you know I'm a keen follower of social media, Nick, which obviously I have to be doing the, the job that I do and that we all do at Great British Racing. And I, I, I saw this developing narrative um, led by, not singling this out particularly, but an interview with, with, with Emma Banks about how the sport is promoted an excellent piece by Lee Motters head about you know the, the the core race goer, and a lot of the responses implied that racing isn 't promoting racing that we 're not focusing on the the core part of the sport and um, I think my, my stream of consciousness was born out of frustration, and I felt we needed just to rebalance it and i couldn 't be more aware of the many challenges the sport has has got in its in its funding issues around welfare, prize money, the many things that, that challenges and always have done. Um, but one thing that racing can be world-class in, um, top of the top of the table is navel-gazing. And I, and I felt that we were kind of going into that place where we were talking ourselves down um, and it needed rebalancing um, because I think there are so many examples of the sport promoting racing effectively by concentrating on the horses the jockeys the wider participants and and as you saw from from the thread i i shared some examples of that and and i would say that there's probably never been a better time in the sport for collaboration and cooperation across the stakeholders in telling our stories and and i and i just felt the need to just kind of reset things and to and to encourage people to be a bit more self-confident. And that's not to suggest, that, as I say, that we haven't got challenges and there aren't things to address. But the sport does a lot of things well. And I just kind of quickly looked at, back on social media before I, I posted what I posted and, and saw that, you know, that some of the most recent bits of content we posted. There was Khadija Mella doing a behind the scenes um, with ITV, uh, their Sunday series on, on what's happened to Haviland in uh, retirement there was an excellent piece on uh, from a, a groom uh, Diana her name was at, at uh, Andrew Balding's yard there was a jockey's eye view of the Nunthorpe um, um, of both I think Asheen Murphy um, and I think uh, I, I think the, the, uh, Chipotle was also um, had a jockey cam on it that day both desperately trying to catch winter power so just kind of the three most recent examples couldn't have been more focused on the sport and so what what drove it was kind of a real desire just to kind of make sure that we are being objective when we talk about how the sport is promoted
0: do you think that some of the uh, criticism recently is born out of antisocial behavior on race courses and what the sport wishes for i.e if it promotes big day out big social day out Lot of booze involved, then it is going to create an environment that is not conducive to the people who've been going racing for years, or indeed to people with young families.
2: I think it certainly affects that view, and I think that's why I think that the narrative was going a, a, a certain way with this. And and as I said, you know, I, I think we mustn't conflate social with with antisocial because racing is a wonderfully social experience. You know, being part of a, a racehorse syndicate is one of the most social things you can do the majority of people that go racing go racing and have a drink and have fun and have a flutter and do so and behave impeccably and so social is a good thing and it's a tremendous asset for the sport and the race courses couldn't do what they do and invest in the festivals and the big races that they have without casting their net wide which includes for example concerts and and and, and extra activity to encourage people but but yes, I can see that, that the antisocial behaviour is, is obviously off-putting for many people. And I do think that we have to have a, a long-term plan to address that, to, if you like, change the environment on a race course over time, to make it really difficult for people to feel that they can behave that way or even want to attend um, because the, the the dynamic on the race course is different. It's not a quick fix, Nick. It's not something you can do tactically overnight. But I, I, I think there are examples of, of other sports thinking about what they want their audience to be in the long term. And, and one I, I, I referenced in the in the thread is the 100 uh, with, with cricket um, – and let's not yet talk about the size of its marketing budget, that's another whole conversation, but the strategy was about increasing the number of families that attend, um, widening their demographic more generally to to include a a, a more ethnically diverse audience, and they targeted particularly, they they thought, the very undervalued South Asian market, And, and much of the focus there was to create an event that was fun and exciting and enjoyable, but with a real family theme and I do think that when you create an environment that is um, more akin to that you are probably making it increasingly uncomfortable for people to feel that they can behave in an inappropriate way but you know this isn't as I say this isn't something that race courses and the sport can do at the click of a finger but I think there can be a long-term strategy for us to think about what we want the experience to be like and how we want race goers to enjoy their racing
0: uh, do you how much do you buy into the idea though rod that the the people who are considered racing's core audience i don't mean people who are uh, paid employees of of institutions within the sport but i mean the the core fan if you like how much do you believe that their desires interests expectations differ vastly from those of anybody who might come racing once twice five times a year
2: I don't know if they do. This is the thing that I find quite confusing when we talk about the core fan and and, and what a real fan or a true fan looks like. I think that very much depends through the the very personal lens that you're looking through. I think people enjoy horse racing for any number of reasons. Some people are absolutely in love with the horses and, and never have a bet. Some people love a bet and love solving that puzzle that is a race. And some people are... Intrigued by the breeding side, some people love just the whole, you know, excitement of a race um, and the excitement that, that that goes with it, and love the jockeys as, as athletes. And so we all we all like racing on our own terms. So it's, it's very difficult to talk about what a, uh, a, a a true fan is, but certainly the, the notion of and I mentioned it in a, in an interview yesterday. The notion that every person that comes through the gate is an opportunity to create a new fan, should be something that we embrace. And we know that, that we, we, we will largely be unsuccessful there relating to what I just said about the, the funnel and, and the, the fact that racing is occasional for many people. But the more opportunities you create to give people connections to the sport, whether it's through getting to the paddock and seeing the horses, meeting a jockey for an autograph, getting a tour of the race course and getting to see what happens inside the weighing room, which people always love, when you do that, having a flutter, it's it, its about the context of what racing is. And, and, and as I say, I'd, I'd extend that to encouraging a much greater tie up with yards to get people to to yards on, 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 on non-racing days, because I think an awful lot of magic happens there. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel there are huge opportunities if we think of all of the, you know, the great racing touch points that we have.
0: I, I'm, I'm often interested that you'll quite often say have a flutter rather than, rather than have a bet. Is, is that because GBR is, is still nervous about the way in which it promotes betting?
2: Not so much. We're obviously very conscious when we're promoting under 18s racing. We don't talk about betting at all, or, or, or drinking for that matter, for all of the the obvious reasons. But no, I think I think that, that betting has had an increasingly hard time, and problem gambling, which is a real and serious issue, I think, has rather affected kind of the the narrative around betting, as betting being something that's you know a, 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 a not particularly good thing and an unhealthy thing. And and I think you have to. You have to rebalance that one as well. For for many people, betting is an integral part of their entertainment, and betting at a sensible level within within your means is your choice. Um, and and I know I know people who bet in the smallest stakes, Nick, who, who bet regularly and who do not bet with life affecting sums, and, and with their outcomes wouldn't win life changing sums, but. They love solving the puzzle. They like having skin in the game. They, they like the thought of having a couple of quid at 40 to 1 on the, the the winner of the next Kipco 2000 guineas and and so on. And so betting is integral to the sport. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I do consciously say flutter because for many, many people, um, having a flutter is integral to the experience and I think it's perfectly okay.
0: But in terms of promoting racing as a as a sport where gambling is absolutely essential to it uh, as it as is an intrinsic part of it is that something you feel that that racing needs to take one step back from or now starts to embrace a little bit more
2: i think it's it's all part of the mix um you know again i i, I think obviously the bookmakers do that and it, it is ultimately the bookmakers responsibility to to market their products responsibly to um Um, to their customers to encourage betting on our sport. But racing has a a role in that. And and, and I I think, you know, nothing proved it more. During during lockdown, during that first lockdown, without betting, without income from racing, without levy income, without media rights income, this sport would have been in the most precarious of positions and i think that our, our our interdependence of racing and betting was was absolutely highlighted there so i think there are opportunities for the sport to 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 have positive mes- messages about about betting without getting dragged into that whole dark area of 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 problem gambling we're a, you know we're, a, we're we're a nation that historically when you think about the the, the grand national that you know that has a flutter you know we you know we talk about you know leicester piggott being a housewife's favorite it's something in this country's dna is 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 wired to having a bet on something and it doesn't have to be a negative thing
0: rod how much money does uh, great british racing have at its disposal to promote the sport every year
2: well our our net budget to promote the sport is is 1.6 million pounds a year. Um, and I know I contrasted that with the size of the budget that the ECB have got for the 100, which is in the hundreds of millions, read different speculation about it. They did, a, I think, a 1.1 billion deal for the 100, media rights deal. And I think marketing spend is upwards of 150 million, maybe to 200 million. So I can look at that and feel a bit sad sometimes. but. You play the cards you're dealt, you know, and there are, there are a lot of people in the queue for extra funding in, in racing and we are but one of them. Um, so is it enough? Not if you want to do serious national campaigns, it's not. It's why we need the support as we've often got for um, specially funded projects from, from the levy board for under 18s Go Racing, for example. Um, I think having the budget the size that we do makes us very imaginative and very lean and creative, and so I think we get bang for our buck. We are literally always on. Three, six, five, we are promoting the sport, whether it's talking about uh, getting Holly Doyle nominated for BBC Sports Personality and then running that campaign, whether it's doing jockey cams, whether it's celebrating a a trainer milestone, any number of things. We, We are always on, and we've got great platforms to promote the sport, but we could do a lot more. It would be wonderful if we could have three or four or maybe like the hundred five-year funding of a, a come racing campaign that could encourage people to come racing with that very family-centric um, approach that I've mentioned earlier um, because I think you've got a chance of growth um, so um, I'm ever hopeful as you know always optimistic um, open to finding other ways we can increase our funding to undertake things like this but it, but it is why I, I made the point in the thread It's why partners like ITV are so important for this sport. And and I think that there may come a day, I hope it's a long, long time in the future, when we look back and see this as a a halcyon period for racing when we were on a main terrestrial platform, often ITV1, the biggest platform, of a mass market broadcaster promoting our sport. And, And so whilst we don't have all of the guns at GBR to do what we'd like to do, itv offers great opportunity to reach a lot of people and that's why their content has to be so broad and i, I always find it rather hilarious when people get upset about a particular fashion edit, uh, um, a, a particular fashion segment or um, or a light-hearted um matter in the social stable between ollie bell and chris hughes because they're actually very small segments of a program which is largely talking about the horses and the jockeys and interviewing trainers and interviewing owners and people, you know, very quickly forget that um, ITV do fantastic feature pieces. The piece on Galileo recently was magnificent. So um, I think if people are, are upset occasionally by not every bit of the content being to their liking, they can always go and put the kettle on. But I, I think that the, the, the overall ITV offering is fantastic. It represents the very broad audience they're talking to. And let's remember, and this is why I think I get frustrated about the navel-gazing Only football attracts more people currently. Only football attracts more people to its venues. Racing still sits some way clear as the second best attended sport. Cricket, for all of its billions and hundreds of millions of marketing budgets, is trying to get where racing is. Its last recorded full attendance back in 2019 was about 3.2 million. Uh, You know, a couple of million plus short of where racing is. And... We're on terrestrial TV week in, week out. And and again, some of other sports challenges relate to the fact that they're not on terrestrial TV. So, um, you know, I think you can take two views, Nick, really. You can can take the the glass half full one, which is one of racing's favourites. Or, uh, sorry, the glass half empty one, which is one of racing's favourites. Or you can be glass half full. Um, and and look at the the many assets that we've got and the many brilliant content providers we've got, the fact that we've got three racing broadcasters in total, a daily racing paper, trainers like um, Fergal O'Brien who produced hilarious and informative content, trainers like Richard Phillips coming up with ideas to promote the horse to deal with some of the equine welfare challenges we have, there's, um, there's an awful lot more good things going on in our sport than there are bad. And we should we should think about that more.
0: Rod Street, there, chief executive of Great British Racing, Horse Racing's promotional arm in the UK uh, and, uh, and British Champions Series, who, who run the events leading up to British Champions Day and the day itself. Dave, Rod jumped into the bridle and he kept running hard through the line.
1: Yes, he certainly did. As I said, his 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 tweets were detailed and impassioned, and and so was that interview. Um, I think just just a couple of comments in in general. I think, as as I alluded to before, I think there needs to be a balance in uh, the approach to this. Uh, I think that there in in my time in horse racing, I've met loads of people uh, who would just like the tea room at New Markets craven meeting to themselves you know and we we know that that isn't the way that the sport is going to grow you do need to uh, bring in people outside and if you can get a retention rate from people who come to watch uh, pop concerts or events after racing that has to be the way to go forward with a balance there's, there's one final i suppose it's a criticism of great british racing that i would make and that it, it 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 concerns what I perceive to be something of a My Little Pony approach uh, towards horse racing. I think that they want open days where they where the public go and and see horses looking out of a box and 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 who are content, but they don't want to deal necessarily with with the the uh, the 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 more difficult aspects of a horse's life in that sense. But I also think the main thing with what I termed the, my little pony approach is betting great British racing needs to, it needs to find its position where it is with regard to betting. And I know as Rod said there, that of course you're not going to tell 14 year olds to go out and, uh, gamble and drink alcohol or indeed smoke cigarettes but i think when you get to the age threshold of 18 and the people that you're marketing the sport to betting has to be part of that in the early days of well before it was um racing for change uh, sorry before it was great race racing it was racing for change and i i detected a very real reluctance, reluctance back then on the part of its leadership to embrace betting and i still think that's there and there is a symbiotic relationship between horse racing and betting. Responsibly managed, betting is a positive activity. The Nick Luck Daily is sponsored by a bookmaker in Fitz Des. So you obviously don't perceive it to be a social ill, and neither do I. It's no use just expecting bookmakers to promote betting on horse racing. I think that it's incumbent on horse racing to promote horse racing and one aspect one extremely important aspect of doing that is through its historic relationship with betting
0: well prominent owner john dance uh, and i have had a an interesting up and down journey on this on this podcast in recent months but we're very much on an upswing now John uh, because you're you're back in business you're back in the game the last time we spoke you just announced that you'd bought Manor House Farm and Stud in Middleham the ex-Michael Stout assistant James Horton was going to train out of there and now you're you're getting stuck in at the yearling sales including three at, at Doncaster yesterday how are you how are you feeling about it all?
3: Um, well the whole, the whole thing's very exciting um, and yesterday was was particularly so because it was the first time. James and and Daniel Crichton and Ed Sackville and Jess and myself had kind of really got stuck in as a team for the future um so the process of looking at horses discussing the ones we liked what we were going to do about them um and then going on and, and bidding for them was it was in itself quite exciting and to land a couple of the the ones we really wanted as well was was kind of the excite uh, the icing on the cake so um a good day and James actually had quite a good pin hook result as well on a Cedar Moon cult, so it was a very good day at the office for him. Uh,
0: how is this different for you? How does it feel different from your forays into the sales ring or buying yearlings or buying horses in training before? Well,
3: um, I guess to a certain extent in previous years Jess and I have really been buying horses for ourselves um, and then somewhat forcing them upon trainers um whereas you know this time round, james is only getting horses from us so we're obviously a lot more conscious um that they need to be ones that that he likes too otherwise his, in, his entire yard is going to be horses that he wouldn't ordinarily want so um you know historically we've we've would usually ask which trainers, you know, trainers, which horses they have liked, and try and send them the ones that were sort of on their radars anyway. But in this case, it's um, it's a it's a much closer team process, and it's, um, it's it's been very, like I say, it's been very exciting. It's, it's been good to do.
0: So, do you? Does that give you more confidence? Do you feel more sort of part of a team that is is all is all singing from the same hymn sheet?
3: Um, yeah, I guess, so. I think it takes, it kind of takes the pressure off everyone, um, because we're only buying horses that the whole team sort of were, well, maybe, as long as four out of five, the five of us, um, <laughs> like, it, it kind of takes the pressure off, um, to some extent, you know, you will inevitably buy horses that aren't that great, and, um, you don't necessarily feel singularly responsible for sending a trainer a, a, a dud if, if they've been part of the process. And I guess as well the trainer doesn't feel like they've got you into a dud if if you were also part of the process, vice versa. So, um, I suppose it does increase confidence to a certain extent, but it's more the, the reduction in, in sort of uh, pressure is quite good.
0: So yesterday you bought a, a Dark Angel, the top lot. Uh, you bought a showcasing as well. And was there one other?
3: Uh, yes, there was a Havana Gold that failed to sell in the ring um, that we had quite liked. Um, and James had gone back and, and had another look at it, I haven't seen it as unsold. And um, we, we thought that was probably worth a go as well. You know, for Havana, Havana Gold, he was quite racy. And we're hoping to come away with a few earlier types for next year from Doncaster and then, you know, potentially the later types from other sales and he, he fit the bill in that respect. They all did, I suppose.
0: So what's the, what's the idea of next year in terms of size and, and strength of stable? How, how many horses do you think James will be training for you in Midland?
3: Um, probably low thirties. Um, we're likely to spend most of next year in a temporary Training yard that we've leased, whilst developments at, at Manor House Stud and, and farm hopefully um, continue at pace. I say continue at pace as if there's been any meaningful progress so far, but we are still in the hands of the planners to some extent. But um, yeah, um, so we're, we're a little bit capacity restrained, and you know, hopefully from next year's yearling sales onwards. God willing, we should be able to increase increase the numbers in his string to maybe getting on for double that, hopefully.
0: Thanks to John Dance. Good luck to him and his team with their new base at Manor House Farm and Stud. And thanks to Rod Street for his uh, detailed thoughts earlier in the show. David Yates is still with me and has a tip for you for today.
1: Yeah, the 2.10 at Lingfield, number six, hell of a pace. Overcame trouble in running to score by neck over course and distance earlier in the month. Four pounds higher here, but I hope that this daughter of Hellvelling can follow up. It's the 2.10 at Lingfield, number six, hell of a pace.
0: David, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. That was Wednesday, August the 25th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares.